Bishop McKee sent us out a message late yesterday afternoon asking churches to respond to the situation that went on in Charlottesville, Virginia. Assuming that you have heard about that or part of that in some way. And so we, we want to respond through prayer today. We want to do it by a responsive prayer that we'll pray together. Normally when we pray, we oftentimes have a what we call an attitude of prayer as we teach our children to pray. Sometimes we teach them to fold their hands. Sometimes we teach them just to sit silently. Sometimes we teach them to bow their head. And sometimes I think it's appropriate for us to read a prayer in which we must be looking up. But in all the actions that we take physically, they're all meant to accomplish the same purpose. And that same purpose, quite simply, is for us to be in an attitude of prayer. So as the words that, comes from our, that come from our lips might be words that are being expressed from our hearts. And so I invite you to share with me in this responsive prayer and that you would, in that, let the words of your response come from your hearts. And so together and responsively we pray, Lord Jesus, your kingdom is good news for a world caught in racial hostility. We ask that you would give us grace for the deep challenges facing our country. Lord, we confess our anger, our deep sadness, and our collective sense of weakness to see this world healed through our own strength. Lord, we honestly confess that our country has a long history of racial oppression, that racism has been a strategy of evil powers and principalities. Lord, we confess that the gospel is good news for the oppressed and the oppressor. Both are raised up. Both are liberated, but in different ways. The oppressed are raised up from the harsh burden of inferiority. The oppressor from the destructive illusion of superiority. Lord, we confess that the gospel is your power to form a new people not identified by dominance and superiority, but by unity in the spirit. Lord, we ask that you would help us name our part in this country's story of racial oppression and hostility. Whether we have sinned against others by seeing them as inferior or whether we have been silent in the face of evil, forgive us of our sins. Lord, we pray for our enemies, those who have allowed satanic powers to work through them. Grant them deliverance through your mighty power. Lord, we ask that you would inform us to be as peacemakers. May we be people who speak the truth in love as we work for a reconciled world. Lord, we commit our lives to you, believing that you are working in the world in spite of destructive powers and principalities. Bring healing to those who are hurt, peace to those who are anxious, and love to those who are fearful. We wait for you, O oh Lord. Make haste to help us. In the holy name of the Savior, our Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, we offer this prayer to you, O Lord, as we pray for our land and for its people.
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I confess to you it's a little difficult. Here we're singing and preaching and speaking about thriving, and in the midst of us, things are kind of falling apart a little bit at the edges, right? This past week has been a little difficult, I just confess to you. I don't watch as much news as I used to. I, I could give you the top ten reasons why I don't. But uh, a lot of it has to do with just the schedule and what I'm doing. A lot of it is, has to do with what we hear in the news sometimes and the way it's presented. But the reality is that sometimes things just kind of get by me. And I'm reminded that I need to be listening a little more closely than I have been lately. Earlier in the week, I heard about all this stuff going on in North Korea. And I'll admit that when I heard it, I was like, really, Lord? I mean, really? There's still some country out there that believes that the answer to their problems amidst while their people are starving to death is to threaten the world outside their little tiny borders with nuclear power. As if that would answer anything. It amazes me that in the year 2017 of our Lord, that we still think that physical power, signs of the ability to kill one another, are the answers to our problems. It's been those kind of questions that we've had for so long, I should not be surprised by them. But at times I'm just left speechless by those who are in places of power and leadership, who have power over so many people who know so little outside their own world, who know, quite frankly, even a little sometimes about what's going on in their own country because oppression is so strong that they just can't really watch and they certainly can't respond. And then I hear about things like went on on the campus of Virginia. You know, I am just old enough to have parents, uncles who served in World War II I'm just old enough to remember the stories about the Great Depression and to remember what the history books had to say about how World War II came about. But I'm plenty old enough to know what that Nazi flag stands for. And you know, I'll just confess to you, I don't care which side you're on in the world in some ways, except I wish you were all on the side of the Christ. But I care deeply about any human being that thinks the sign of the Nazi reality and its expression of evil depression of racism and re religious genocide is in any way appropriate expression in the year 2017. There's not room for that in this country. I don't care how much freedom of speech you have. If you knew what that meant and you had an ounce of gumption, I would just say to you, you would know that was evil. The question of racism, racism is so many-sided and so deep and destructive that it's hard for those who are the predominant color in their particular country or the predominant religion in their country sometimes to fully understand the people who are from another part of the world, who've lived in the same country as others have lived but have experienced it entirely differently. And despite what we're sometimes told, there are all kinds of reasons for that. And some of them are caused by us in our pursuit of history. I don't really care what happens to a statue in Virginia. I know that there are historical landmarks, but I know this. There's not a statue in the world other than the one of my Lord Jesus Christ that's worth somebody dying over. 
And I also knew that as much as I love this country and I do bleed red, white, and blue, it's also a reality that we're not always right. And sometimes we wave past reminders in the faces of those most hurt with statues and history. It's wrong. And it's wrong from the perspective of Christ, not just from the perspective of Doug. Now, you may be saying, well, I don't really agree with that. You're free to believe wrongly. That is your privilege, and you're free to march up and down the street and do whatever you want, and I realize that, and I, I cherish that freedom too, but it breaks my heart when people use it in the ways that we see it being used in some of these times of issue. But we're made to thrive, and you know, even in the midst of darkness, the scripture is still true. Remember what we read last week, and we're going to keep reading, and we're going to keep singing about it each week. That passage from Jeremiah where it talks about blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and their confidence. Their roots run deep, the passage says. They are not burdened by the heat or by drought, and they never stop producing fruit. And that's because, like that tree, we're made to thrive. Right now we're going to hear a story, a remarkable story, that some of you have heard in parts, and you're just going to hear a little part of it today. But it's a testimony. A testimony about a man who was raised in a nation that experienced a lot of what Korea's experiencing in some ways. And yet a man whose life is now a walking, living, different testimony than what he experienced there. If anybody had a right to carry a sign, he would have a right to carry a sign. But the sign he carries is the sign of the cross. And so I invite you now to tune into the video. Focus your attention upon Chiv as he shares this part of his testimony again with us today. In 1975, one day, the communist Pol took over the countries. They forced people from the city all the city out to the countryside, the labor camp. They just teach people not trust each other. The husband not trust wife, the children not trust. No one trusts each other. Uh, you talking about the organization or you have any plan, anything. If you hear anything, then you're gonna get killed. When they capture him, they could put in a prison camp. I, I just, I don't know what happened, but God is just with me in that time. I, even I didn't know God, but God knew me. The long story short, I escaped to Thailand, refugee camp. There I had some missionary. They came and they bring food, medicine, and uh, clothes. And also they really um, care for people in the refugee camp. One day I asked, where did you come from? Why are you here? And they respond to me. They are a missionary. And I and, and that time I didn't understand much about what mean. But later on when I have name on the list, come to third country, especially come to the United States. Meet my wife and my wife is just uh, she a Christian and she encouraged me to church. I saw a lot of people in the church, uh, 
we love each other, care each other. And when I was in the refugee camp, they, they, they exactly the same. They, they care about the people, they help people, they uh, encourage people, and they love people. So I told my wife, I said, you know, I want to be a missionary too, and I want to become a disciple of Jesus, to serve him and to serve others. When I left country, I never planned to go back to Cambodia because the way they treat, the way they tort, uh, the way they, they kill people, it's just like, we don't want to see that again. I pray to the Lord and Lord just lead me. Uh, we decide, uh, we decide to go and so we went. Strongly believe that when we obedient, God will lead us the way. Sometimes it's difficult, sometimes it's easy, but the resolve to the end will be the, the best. When I was in Cambodia, I feel different from what I thought and dreamed. Because when I left the country, I stayed in the United States, I always had dreamed about the Khmer Rouge. They chasing me, they tried to kill me. But I'm, I'm after I went to Cambodia and come back, I never had dreamed no more. And my life seemed like a different, uh, different life. Like it's just a new life in Christ. So I talked to my wife, and my wife really agreed with me that one who who feels the, the dream of God called me to do this. That's why we had started to start to build a church in Cambodia. So in eight years, we had eight churches, and uh, we baptized. 1,206. When we go to Cambodia, we always have some training. And the training is just empowering, encouragement, and, and build a close relationship with him. It's hard to, to trust each other, to work uh, together, and to, to strongly believe that this is a real mission or not. But when you do that, they really feel so confident. They always like equip them and encourage them, let them feel one body of Christ, you know, like trust. Every two weeks, I call them to each leader and talk to them and ask them a question, encourage them, teaching them. Uh, if they ask me a question, they may have some question for me. But that's the way I deal with the leader because I deal with the trust. And I see they really faithful with the Lord. Really they hungry for become a good disciple of Jesus. We were made to may have a bald head and you may think that white is right but God can heal that you may have 
been wronged in your past and hurt by people of another color or another culture, that God can heal that. You may be someone who is content to sit on the sidelines and wonder why people are so strange as they are. God can heal that too. In fact, in the face of the things that can go on internationally and in the face of things that can go on nationally and in the face of conflict and distrust, God can bring trust. And the way that God brings trust is by bringing you through Christ to God. That is why I guess in this part of my life, I struggle so much with the mindset of the culture in which I find myself a part of. And I realize that part of the reason I struggle is just because people are much more vocal about being different now, and it upsets me sometimes in the way they're vocal. It upsets me to think that 50% of the people living in our country really are not Christian, and I would say the number might be closer to 70%. There are many people who are marching in some of those parades and saying some of those hateful things, but they think they're Christians. They're just Christians who don't know the Scriptures. I hope that's true, but I'm clear that many of the things that they're doing and many of the things they're saying are not Christian and they're not from Christ. I'm also clear that despite how bad it may feel to some days and some moments of my life, the power of Christ to change individuals is remarkable. The power of Christ to change organizations is also remarkable. And the power of Christ to change nations should never be thrown out with the dirty bathwater. Because, you see, the Lord looks upon us in a different way than we do. And the Lord has mandated, called, equipped, and is attempting to send the true church into the world to be the body and blood of Christ. The Lord is attempting to take the church that is a remnant upon this earth and to change all those things that make us fearful and all those things that bring poison and evil into our world. The Lord is not afraid of them, nor is the Lord afraid to confront them. And the Lord believes that they can all be healed, but he's got to have some people who are willing to be sent. He's got to have some missionaries that will show up in a camp and confront and offer their love to a scrawny little guy like Chiv. Can you picture what he looked like over there as a young man? Yeah, I know. He was young. And I've seen the picture that he sent Emra when he started wanting to get to know her. Y'all, some of y'all have seen it too. I hear you laughing. You know. Now I want you to picture that guy who's struggling just to eat. I want you to picture that guy who doesn't know anything really about God. I want you to picture that guy who is so oppressed by the leaders of his country that he's afraid for his life constantly. Can you imagine how skinny he must have looked? No wonder you got away. They probably couldn't see you. But when Chiv and I talked about his testimony the other day, and he began to share a little bit more about the details, it's a very emotional thing for him. He couldn't do it with a dry eye. And he did not want to be emotional. He kept saying, I'm sorry for emotional. I'm thinking, dude, if you couldn't be emotional about that, you must not have any emotions. 
It's always when he recalls those things, and he recalls how God acted in his life that his emotions overcome him as if it were yesterday. Now, we may think, well, yeah, but man, after he'd been through that, everybody would be emotional. How different is that experience really than the one that is meant for every Christian? How different is it from us to be in captivity by communists or in captivity through materialism? How different is it for the spirit of evil that was in his nation that different from the spirit of evil that we experience in our own world, sometimes even what we witness because of racism, because of overzealous injustice between races and then between others. Now, he said something in that line that I just keeps, I just, it just keeps coming to me. I just can't get it out of my head. He said, I did not know God, but God knew me. Only we in the church could get the sense that that's the way we need to see other people in our world, like God sees them. Even though they don't know God, God knows them. Even though they may not be able to worship God, serve God, or even say anything nice about God, that doesn't keep God from loving them. If only we can see people the way God sees them, then we will respond to them the way God would respond to them. And through that response, they will come to see God. They'll see God through people like you and other people you know who are followers of Christ. He said about those missionaries, what did they do? They brought food. They brought clothes. They brought medicine. He said they brought encouragement. He said they really cared about us. Oh, my goodness. It's so easy to be like Jesus if we just do it. We are so worried that it's going to take a, a big theological debate. No, it's not. It's going to just take us to care about people enough around us to see them, to see them, and to care about them enough to give them, in whatever way we can, what it is that they're searching for in life. It's not magic. It's not automatic. After the missionaries gave him the food, he still came to America. He still had a, uh, a failed marriage in between all that. He still struggled to find his way in life. But when he met Embra, she turned that rascal around. She brought it all together. She took him to church. And lo and behold, he saw a church, this church, that was like the missionaries. They cared about each other. They loved one another. They saw each other. There is nothing in this world to stop a church like that. There's nothing in this world that has the power to stop a church like that. I don't worry whether this church or any church is strong enough. I just worry about if the churches of our world today know enough and hope enough in the power of Christ for them to really let Christ live through them. That's what I worry about whenever I'm just prone to wonder and worry, and we all are a little prone to worry. Now, out of that one little scrawny guy, and y'all are probably saying, would you quit calling Chill scrawny? Listen, 
to a guy like me, Shiv is just a third of a guy. And he always makes the other two-thirds of me feel really bad. Can you imagine how long I could have gone in a refugee camp? I mean, I could have lasted forever, you know. But not so for the Chiv and many like him. They were looking for breadcrumbs to survive on. That's not a factual statement. That's just a, an example. They were starving for love and for encouragement. We wonder what's going to turn our children around and our, our youth around. Parents, teachers, faculty, it's love. It's encouragement. It's looking them in the eye. It's not seeing them as the enemy, but seeing them as someone God loves, and you should love them too. You say, have you seen some of those kids? Yes, up close. <laughs> we had the grandkids, or I should say Sally had the grandkids. She still has them. That'll become Sarah's sin later. Not really. Sarah and Chad were on a trip, so Sally's been keeping the grandkids. So I went over there for dinner both nights, trying to time it just enough, because when Sally's being grandma, you got to watch out. You know, it's all, all turned loose with all three kids. And they had a ball. Kids were having a blast. Now, I know my grandkids aren't perfect because no child's perfect. They're pretty close, but, you know, they're not perfect. Neither, none, neither of my children were perfect when they were young, especially when they weren't around me, you know. And when they were around Sally Moore, it was a little more difficult for them, you know. And I know you're going to tell her that as soon as you see her, and she won't be surprised by it. But you see, what the kids are going to remember, the grandkids are going to remember, is the weekends that Chad and Sarah are gone, and Sally's there early morning to late at night. That's what they're going to remember. They're going to remember how she cared about them. They're going to remember about how she loved them, how she gave them as close as she could to what they were used to, according to Sassy. That's what they're going to remember. But children get in the classroom, and they're living in, so many of them are living in places that are not Christian. The love of Christ is not talked about. The spirit of love is not experienced daily. They don't have a lot of trust in how they're going to be treated, and they don't even know how to say that because they're so young. You have to get older before you can voice and realize that you didn't grow up in a trusting environment. I don't know how that it feels except by others because I always knew how trustworthy my parents were, and that's something that I cherished that I always knew that I could trust them to be there for me, to care about me, to give me what I wanted and not what I need, give me what I needed rather than what I wanted. I always knew that they'd be there no matter what I did, what mistake I made. And I still feel that when I see my 92-year-old mama who's still going strong, doing what she can to care for her family. You see, when we, the church, came into being, the scripture read earlier, this is not a long sermon this morning, so you can kind of relax. It's a little pre-Christmas, a little preschool sermon. But when Troy was reading that scripture, I hope you got the sense of what was going on there. Because we read that scripture so much, and we don't think that much about it. But uh, the church exploded into life. It didn't just, 
wasn't just formed. They didn't call a committee meeting and have 12 people vote and then spread the word around that everybody decided to become a part. No, it exploded. It just ruptured with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that day, after one sermon and a little background, 3,000 people joined the church. I'd call that an explosion. I don't know how many people were there, but I, I got a feeling that was most of them. They exploded as the Spirit fell upon them. And then what the Scripture says about that, it says that they continually were devoting themselves to the teaching of the apostles, to fellowship, to breaking of the bread, to prayer. And it goes on to say, they kept on feeling a sense of awe. Oh, what I would give for the church of Jesus Christ today. To have a fresh and daily experience of the awe of being a child of God. Of the, having the power of God roaring through your hearts and minds. They were so, had such a feeling of awe that they shared all things in common. And day by day, as they continually praised God, they had the favor of all the people. And their numbers were being added to daily. simple message it goes like this if we were made to thrive what are the keys to thriving despite the obstacles we may face the number one key to thriving is the church and the fact that in this nation we trust solitary faith more than we trust community faith is to our own shame and biblical ignorance the Bible does not know anything about solitary Christianity. Everybody that became a Christian became attached to a fellowship. And they understood the importance of that fellowship and the importance of that teaching, the importance of that praising, the importance of that prayer. They never thought they could make it on their own. You know, you ever watch the kids in church just when they're milling around with their parents? You ever watch... Let things get a little too crowded. Let things get a little crazy in church. And what do the kids do? They just suck right in against their parents, don't they? They just naturally trust them. Some of you out there are holding them now. And when they come home from school, if they've been hurt, what are they going to look for? They're going to look for a mom and a dad who will put their arms around them and hold them and tell them it will be all right. They're going to look for a parent. If things are not going well at the school, it's going to say, don't worry, I'm coming to school with you tomorrow. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. You say, what does that mean? It means this is what you think. It means grandpa can go to school too. If you start abusing my children, I'm going to show up on your doorstep. If you start letting somebody bully my children, I'm going to be talking to you about it. I mean, that's what you do because they're yours. The church is the key to thriving. You're not going to thrive outside of church. People, well, I know a lot of Christians. I know a lot of Christians too that aren't in church. I also know they're not thriving the way they could if they were part of an active fellowship of believers. You say, well, but they're doing good. Yeah, they're doing good, but that's compared to the great they could be doing. It's always relative. People think they can get along without the church. That's an American concept. It's not a biblical concept. Individual Christianity is unknown in the Bible. Jesus didn't save anybody. He said, go out and be by yourself. He didn't do that. He didn't say you can make it on your own. He didn't do that because we can't do well on our own. 
Chip, though he made it through the slaughter in Cambodia, would never have made it to Christ if it wasn't for Emra taking him to church. Right? Basic. Basic stuff. The church must survive in order for the work of God to be completed. Because that's the way God ordained it. That's the way God planned it. And that's what he's going to bless. And that's why he said, as he, Paul wrote in Romans 8, I'll just read it. It's always safer just to read it. It's a little verse. It's one I say to myself a lot, and I say to others a lot. And we know, we know that we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. It's always working that way. You know, hurts may be on the outside, they may be on the inside, they may be relationally related. But the healing for them all is the same. And his name is Jesus. And he's there to bring healing to all of our hurts and pains. Now, when we talk about the community getting together, the place where people are supported so they can strive, Chiv said several times, that's an edited version, you understand that, that video. Several times he says, encouragement, trust. We learn to trust through our closest relationships beginning at home. We learn to trust through our community relations and our extended family if we're lucky enough to have one. We learn to trust in the community of faith where we attend regularly if we're spending time with people. Other people will learn that you really are trusting one another when you show up together. You say, what does that mean? It means I want to see you here Friday night when we're welcoming people that aren't members of our church who are bringing their children to leave with us. We, I want them to see how much you care about their children, not just your own, so that they'll understand what a church is supposed to be. I want to see you Saturday afternoon, between 5 and 7.30. I want to see you stand around and get wet. It's not going to be too hot this year. Doesn't look like. So it's not going to be all that bad. And you guess what? You'll get to fellowship with people that may not be even Christians. And some of you tell me all the time, well, I don't know anybody that's not Christian. See you Saturday night. They will be coming here for the water and the fun and the food because they know they'll be safe at church, and we need to safely care for them, show them our love and joy at just seeing them and get to know them. That's what churches do. That's fellowship. You see, when you come into the fellowship of the faith, you not only get forgiven, you get blessed. You not only get blessed and forgiven, but you always you also learn to have hope. And you learn that through that hope that you develop a friendship with God. A friendship that allows you to walk through life hand in hand with God, not afraid of God, but rather a relationship of knowing that God is with you and cares about you at the deepest of all levels. That friendship leads to an imagination that you can see others as God has seen you. And that, my friends, will cause people to thrive. 
churches to drive and the world to drive as well. It's really the only solution. God made us to drive. But if we don't take advantage of the things God has given us to help us drive, then God will not be able to help us. He will not be able to help you. If your hurts are too big to share with other Christians, then God's going to have a hard time bringing you healing and the power to move on. I know some of you are thinking, you're thinking, yeah, but I just don't really want to tell anybody about that stuff. Yeah, I get that. And there may be a few sins that, quite frankly, I don't want to hear about those sins of yours either. when we share our hurts and our failures with a few others and we acknowledge our failures generally with the body of Christ that fellowship heals us the words of wisdom from others who've already walked where we're trying to walk guide us and the power of the Holy Spirit bears fruit in our lives we thrive we're together thank you for those of you who gather here regularly for fellowship for study for prayer for direction get ready to drive count on it hope for it not in our strength but in the strength of the Lord I want to pray for you Father God I thank you for these who are here today for every one of them visitor and member alike I thank you for each person that ever walks into this building. I hope then that, Lord, they might be able to experience the love and the care of Jesus through the love and care of others who receive them. From the time they walk in the front door to whether they're doing work on our building or whether they're here to fix something that's broken, let them know that this is a place where forgiveness lives, where fellowship is real, and where caring encouragement is available for all. And by so living like you live for us, May others come to know you. If there's one here, Lord, that doesn't know you today, and they're feeling something about wanting to respond, maybe they just need a word from you, Lord, to act on their feelings. Not to worry about understanding everything, but just to turn loose and to take your hand, that you will lead them forward. If there's someone here, Lord, who's been trying to do it alone, it's such a hard battle, and it's such an easier battle when we do it in community. We'd love to have anybody, Lord, who's homeless in their relationship with God to be a part of this family. Let them come if they need to come, Lord, as we stand and sing. I ask it in Jesus' name.